Well, good morning again, church. Uh, Pastor Stephen is gone today. He is um, hiking with his oldest daughter, and so um, I get to bring God's word to you today. And if you don't know me, my name is Josh, and I'm the pastor for children and youth here. And so it's it's uh, my privilege that I get to bring God's word to you from 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 10 through 17. So 2 Timothy 3, 10 through 17. And if you're using the Pew Bible, that's going to be on page 996. So in the Pew Bible, that's page 996, 2 Timothy 3, 10 through 17. And so I'm preaching today from this passage, and then in just a few weeks from now, in July, I'll also be preaching, and I'll just go right into the next passage, 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 8. And so um, hopefully this will be encouraging to your soul today, but also serve as some context when I get to preach to you again in July. So would you pray with me now? Father, we come to you today. We ask for your help. I ask for your help as as I preach, that you would that you'd be with me, that your words would come out, that uh, what I've studied and prepared, that it would, it would be glorifying to you as it comes out, that you would be made much of today as we look at your word, and you'd give us ears to hear it. We know that even as we've read already, that as your word goes out, it will not return void. And so we ask that just as the waters, the rain waters the fields and brings forth a harvest, that your word implanted in our hearts would bring a harvest as your Holy Spirit uses it. Would you do that in us today? It would be a great work that you could bless us with and we ask that you would do it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So this April... Our president nominated Russell Vogt. He nominated him to serve as Deputy Director of Management and Budget. And then just this June, on Wednesday, two senators were questioning Vogt. And their line of questioning wasn't so much concerned with his credentials and his ability to perform the task. But they were concerned and, and really off-put and, and angry about his beliefs. They brought up some, some questioning and, and they, they went back to some comments he made in January of 2016. And it went like this. The questioning went like this. They were questioning him and saying, How can your comments back in January of last year, how can you be qualified to serve the public, our country? And his comments were this. Muslims do not simply have a deficient theology. They do not know God because they have rejected Jesus Christ, his son, and they stand condemned. And so these comments had nothing to do with public policy, These comments were directed towards things that were going on at Wheaton College, a Christian college. And so as an alumni from this college, he's speaking about things that happened in the college. Yet now these things, a year and a half later, are being brought up against him and these senators are questioning his ability 
to properly help steward this government in our country. And these, these things that were being said were, were things like he's Islamophobic and not fit for public office because of what he's saying. And he's being persecuted. He's being questioned. He was actually being yelled at and interrupted over and over about his beliefs. And every time he came back, he said, based on my Christian faith, he's grounding everything he said in the Bible. He's being persecuted for it. And I don't think you and I are too far from that as well. Maybe perhaps you've even experienced that already. Persecution shouldn't surprise us. It shouldn't catch us off guard. If we've read the Bible, if we've heard the words of Christ, we should expect persecution. And this, in fact, doesn't even surprise the Apostle Paul. Because we know in this letter from, from Paul to Timothy, he's in prison for the second time because of his ministry of God's Word. And he even knows his death is coming. We'll see that in July. We'll see, Paul says, my time, my death is very soon. My, my time for departure has come. So Paul's not caught off guard. And in this letter, he's passing on this baton of ministry to Timothy and, and calling him to stand up for the truth. Don't waver in what you believe. And we have the same call today. You and I are called to this same vocation of proclaiming God's word. Maybe not as leaders, as pastors in the church, but you and I are all called to be ministers of the gospel. And it may cost us. But we're called to remain faithful to God in the midst of persecution and suffering. And so as I read today, I want us to see Paul's aim in this passage is to encourage faithfulness to God by obeying the scriptures. And so we'll see that the faithful will endure persecution. We'll see that the faithful will obey Scripture. And that also the Scriptures will equip us for faithfulness. So would you read along with me in 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning in verse 10. Paul says, You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions, and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while the evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and training in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And so as we look at this call to faithfulness, I want us to see that the faithful will endure persecution. And it may even sound a little bit, a little bit redundant, right? To be faithful is to continue on, to endure. But I want to make sure that we're very clear that to be faithful to God means that you will endure 
all things. You will remain faithful to him till the end. We, we must remember that those even who came before Timothy endured persecution. In the context of this passage, Paul references just up two verses in verse 8. He references Moses and how he was opposed by Janus and Jambres. And so I think we should even be thinking here, Moses opposed. And the prophets in the Old Testament are opposed. And Paul himself is opposed, right? He suffers persecutions at Iconium and Lystra and at Antioch. Jesus experienced persecutions. And so here, Timothy, it's not unusual. The people of God have always and will always experience persecution. So remain faithful. And we even know this to be true today. The last 150 years, there have been more martyrdoms, deaths for Christ than there were in all the first 1,800 years of the early church. Persecution is only increasing. It's not decreasing. And so we must be preparing for persecution. Right? Paul says in verse 12, Indeed, all. Not just some of you, not even just you leaders. But every single one of us who believes in Christ will experience persecution when we live for Him. So don't let it catch you off guard. Don't let it surprise you. In fact, understand this is what's coming your way. Paul even gives us his example, his own life. He reminds Timothy, you've followed me in everything I've done. You've spent time with me. You've seen my life, my purpose. But he also says, he doesn't just tell him the good things, right? He's not saying, hey, get ready, Timothy. There's going to be some good things coming. But he reminds him, you also know of my persecutions. It wasn't just one time. It was many times. And in fact, he doesn't say this in the passage, at least not this passage, but even as I'm writing to you, I'm in prison for my faith, for sharing the gospel. And so you and I should be preparing Right, Even Christ says in, in the Beatitudes on the Sermon of the Mount, He says, Blessed are those who are persecuted on account of righteousness' sake. So as you and I follow Christ, we should expect nothing else than persecution from the world. It's not a life of ease. We're called to live for Him. And we will be persecuted. And Paul's even drawing this contrast, right? You who are faithful, I'm going to compare you to those who are not faithful, those who are deceived and being deceived, those who are evil and imposters and trying to lead other people away from Christ. So know that you who are faithful will be persecuted, but those who are evil, the implication is they're not going to be going through the same suffering you are. Because you're standing for truth. You're following Christ. And in our day, we experience this through what we, what we looked at just a second ago with Russell Vogt, but, but we experience this every day. Whether it's media or the news. There's growing persecution. And, and, and maybe one of the, the hot topics for, for culture today is tolerance. 
right? We're supposed to tolerate others and their beliefs. Evelyn Beatrice Hall describes Voltaire, the Frenchman's beliefs, in this way. She says of Voltaire, He may disapprove of what you are saying, but he will defend to the death your right to say it. That's what tolerance used to be. It used to be you believe what you think or what you, what you believe and you can say it. But that's not tolerance today. The new tolerance is, is this. You don't have a right to say there is only one way. You don't have a right to, to tell others that they're wrong. Because when you do, then you're going to be condemned for telling others. But they're doing the same thing to you by telling you. You can't tell others that there's a right way. And so we're in a time that promotes tolerance, but it's not true tolerance. But we as Christ followers, we're called to love all. We're called to proclaim truth and love all people. And so I think you and I, we face this fear sometimes of persecution. I think you probably do. There are times I have. There have probably even been times where you've been quiet in the workplace because you've feared persecution. You might fear what your coworkers say or what your boss might say. Have you shied away from truth because you're afraid of persecution? Let me encourage you. Be faithful to Christ. Expect the persecution. Don't shy away from it. Because when you know it's coming, you'll be ready for it. So God's faithful children will endure persecution by obeying his scripture, by obeying his word. And so we see here in verses 14 and 15 that the faithful will obey scripture. Read again with me. Verse 14. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ. Paul says, continue. You've already learned this. You already grew up with knowing about who Christ is. And so, don't forsake it, Timothy. Continue on. No matter what comes your way, let this be an encouragement to you that that your Savior who has bought you, He'll sustain you. Continue. Right? And you even hear this encouragement from Paul. It's easy to begin well. Right? You learned it. Continue in what you already know from those sacred writings. It's easy to, to, to begin well, but it's very difficult to end well. Continue in the Scriptures. Obey them. Billy Graham and his contemporary Charles Templeton. Both early in their life, evangelists. Templeton had some sort of a, a, a religious experience early in his life when he was around 20. And shortly after that became an evangelist. Telling people about Jesus. But in his memoir in 1996 titled, Farewell to God, My Reasons for Rejoice, Re- Rejecting the Christian Faith. He recounts 
a conversation with Graham before entering seminary. He says, here's the conversation they had. All of our differences came to a head in a discussion which, better than anything I know, explains Billy Graham and his phenomenal success as an evangelist. All our differences, that is, Graham's differences from Templeton, came to a head. And their conversation, at least this, at this moment, was about the biblical account of creation. Templeton denied the, the creation account in Genesis. And Billy Graham said, him, said to him this, I believe the Genesis account of creation because it's in the Bible. I've discovered something in my ministry. When I take the Bible literally, when I proclaim it as the word of God, my preaching has power. When I stand on the platform and say, God says or the Bible says, the Holy Spirit uses me. Graham was faithful to the Bible. God empowered him. He wanted to believe everything that the Bible said and nothing less. But 50 years after that conversation, Lee Strobel interviews Templeton. And in his book, A Case for Faith, he says, he recounts this conversation he had with, with Templeton. He says, how do you assess this Jesus? It seemed like the logical next question, but I wasn't ready for the response it would evoke. Templeton's body language softened. It was as if he had suddenly felt relaxed and comfortable in talking about an older, dear friend. His voice, which at times had displayed such a harsh, a sharp and insistent edge, now took on a melancholy and reflective tone. His guard seemingly down, he spoke in an unhurried pace, almost nostalgically carefully choosing his words as he talked about Jesus. He was, Templeton, Templeton began, the greatest human being who ever lived. He was a moral genius. His ethical sense was unique. He was intrinsically the wisest person that, ever, that I've ever encountered in my life or in my readings. His commitment was total and led to his own death, much to the detriment of the world. What could one say about him except that this was a form of greatness? Let me remind you, this is right before his death. But he turned from Christ when he was abandoning the Bible. And Strobel goes on to say, I was taken aback. You sound like you really cared about him, I said. Well, yes, he is the most important thing in my life, came his reply. I, he stuttered, searching for the right word. I, I, I know it may sound strange, but I have to say, I adore him. Everything good I know, everything decent I know, everything pure I know, I learn from Jesus. Yes, yes, and tough. Just look at Jesus. He castigated people. He was angry. People don't like him, don't think of him the way that they should. They don't read the Bible. He had a righteous anger. He cared for the oppressed and the exploited. There's no question that he had the highest moral standard, the least duplicity, the greatest compassion, of any human being in history. There have been many other wonderful people, but Jesus is Jesus. Uh, but uh, no, he said slowly. He's the most, 
He stopped and started again. In my view, he declared, he is the most important human being who has ever existed. But listen to this. That's when Templeton uttered the words I never expected to hear from him. And if I may put it this way, Strobel said, as his voice began to crack, or sorry, as Templeton began to say, I miss him. Fifty years earlier, he began straying from the Bible. He began to discount the Bible. He strayed from obeying the scriptures. And just like recounting an old lost friend that he once knew so well, he regrets having left him, denying the faith. So you and I, Christian, there may be persecution awaiting us, but there's a dear friend in Christ who awaits us when we obey the scriptures. And some of you may have family members, brothers, sisters, perhaps even children, that you long to know Christ, that have abandoned the scriptures a long time ago. Let me encourage you, you be faithful to the scriptures, you be faithful to our great God, and follow what you know of him, and pray for those who have abandoned him. Let our love for God through the scriptures be evident to everybody and know that it's going to bring persecution, but also know that there will be some who turn and repent of sin and bow a knee to Christ as you obey the scriptures. But it's not always easy. We even sang just a second ago, we're prone to wander. We're prone to leave the God I love. May we be fettered to Him, bound to Him through what we know of Him in the Scriptures. May we be drawn to Him even because we've known or think the Lord. Perhaps some of you have known Him from an early age because you've been taught about Him, right? Paul says to Timothy, you've known from childhood. So children, some of you are blessed to be raised in a godly home. Praise God for your parents and your grandparents who pour Christ into you. Perhaps that can even be a great way you go home and apply this today, children. Thank God for your parents who brought you to church. Thank God that he's placed you in a home that exalts Christ. Parents, may we be ones, and grandparents, may, be, may we be ones who proclaim Christ to our children that they might be able to say, from childhood I've known these scriptures. May I be faithful. But perhaps you yourself might be prone to wander. You might be prone to straying. Maybe you don't even feel like reading the word today. Let me encourage you, the goodness of our God. May you seek him through the scriptures. And even when our hearts don't want to, don't feel like it, let us remember his goodness that we know of him. Let us cling to him and obey him. That we might prove faithful. That we might be his children. Because there are false teachings, there's false doctrines. 
one that is just destroying many thousands, perhaps even millions in the world today, is the prosperity gospel. It puts man at the center. It dethrones God and puts man at the center of his life and the throne and says, you pursue self. All you have to have is strong faith and everything's going to be good. And in fact, it's the exact opposite of what we see here in this passage. Jesus promises, Paul promises persecution when you live for Christ. The prosperity gospel promises the opposite. Sow a seed of faith and good's going to come in your life. Prosperity and health and wealth. It, it affirms the wealthy and the healthy and those who have a comfortable life. It promises hope of aspiration for those who don't have it. But again, it's centered on self. It's not centered on God. And so I'm encouraging us today, take our eyes off of self. We're prone to wander and put them on the Christ and the scriptures that we read about that we might be faithful to Him above all. And some of you here today perhaps don't know Christ. I want you to hear the scriptures today. It even says the sacred writings, even the Old Testament. It points to Christ. It points to faith in Jesus. Salvation has always been through faith in Christ. And it's the only way. You and I, believer and non-believer, must bow a knee if we want to be with Him forever. And so, those of you who do, do not know Him today, Let me encourage you, there's no greater day than today to bow a knee to King Jesus. But then how does this encourage you and I, right? If we have placed faith in Christ, this should encourage us. Because in the midst of persecution and suffering, when it seems to be and is quite often shaking our souls, so many times we want to know, where can I turn? I need comfort I need direction. Let me encourage you to turn to the Scripture. Rest in God's Word to comfort you, to comfort me. Let us not turn to anything else. If we know that God is good and He awaits us in the Scriptures to reveal Himself to us, why would we turn anywhere else? So we're called to faithfully persevere persecution by obeying God and the Scriptures. And here's the beautiful thing. We see in verses 16 and 17 that God will equip the faithful through the Scriptures. Scripture will equip us. So read with me again verses 16 and 17. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be equipped for every good work. So Scripture will equip the faithful too. So you're not just called just to obey, but God God also wants to help you as you read the Scriptures. He wants to equip you for good works. He wants to equip you to be faithful to Him. And so 
We see verse 16. Scripture is our ultimate authority. It's given to us by God himself. Right? It says it's God-breathed. As if it came out of his very mouth. He's speaking to us through his word. And so the Bible is our ultimate authority because it's from God. It's divine revelation. But it's also about God. So God is saying, I want you to know me. I want you to seek me through my word. So what does this do for our daily reading of the Bible? Perhaps some of you are reading through the Bible this year with us as a church. Some days it's difficult reading three, four, maybe five chapters a day. And perhaps maybe you're even behind a little bit. Don't let the task of reading dry your love for God. Don't let checking the box keep you from pursuing Christ as you read the word. It's God revealing himself to us. And so this is special. It's divine. He wants you to know him through it. And so let us approach the scriptures in that way. Let us seek him. Let the Bible be our ultimate authority because God is teaching us about himself. And let us bow our our desires to him. But we also see scripture is sufficient for life and godliness. Right? Verses 16 and 17. A lot of times this is used for to, to back up the authority of God's word. Right? It's given to us from God, therefore obey it. And that's true. It tells us this is God breathed. But the full context, the full picture is it's given to us by God that it might equip us for life and godliness. So this is really getting at the sufficiency of Scripture. Scripture is sufficient for all of life and godliness. Everything that you and I need to know about God is revealed to us. Everything you and I need to know in order to live a life that pleases the Lord, it's revealed to us. God wants to equip us. And so notice, Paul doesn't just say, read your Bibles, right? He says it's useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. So the Word is meant to equip us. The word is is meant to be used. It's not meant to just sit in the back of your car until next Sunday when you pick it up to come back into the service. It's not meant to be put on a bookshelf and collect some dust until next Sunday. It's meant to be used. You want to know about life? You want to seek to do good works that honor Christ? Read the word. You don't need Oprah. You don't need psychology. Some of those things are helpful. What do you need? You need the scriptures. You need to know God. You need to know the one who wants you to know him, the creator of all things. Right? We looked at this this past week in Eagle Butte. Day one, 
God created all things. He created them good. So the, the creator who made the mountains and the hills and the plains in Eagle Butte, the rivers and the oceans, he wants you to know him. He wants to equip you, not so that you can wander around aimlessly, but that you can live a life in response of worship to who he is. So scripture is not, although it equips us for life and godliness, it's not meant to be your GPS with the lady on your phone telling you 10 feet, turn here. You just passed rerouting. It doesn't tell you every single step in life. So high school graduate, it doesn't tell you what college to go to, what degree to pursue. College grad, it doesn't tell you to move to this city or that city and take this job or that job. Or those of you who are retired, it doesn't tell you what to do with every moment of your day. What does it tell you? It tells you about who God is. It tells you that you are to pursue holiness, to pursue Christ-likeness. And after that, there's a whole lot of freedom. Pursue Christ. High school graduate. Pursue a degree and, and a vocation that, that you like, that you're interested in, that perhaps you can glorify God in. That's what He wants for you. Those of you who are retired or thinking about that in the next few years, God doesn't tell you to, to, to pick up and go to Eagle Butte. He might. Perhaps He would. But the call is, how can you glorify God? You can do that by picking up and going to Eagle Butte. You can do that every single day, retired or not, pouring into young men in this church. Ladies, you can do that by discipling a young mom who may be prone to discouragement when her children are are, are four and under. There's so many ways that you and I can glorify God every single day that He reveals to us and He's willing to equip us if we would seek Him through His Word. He wants to, he wants to make you complete. What's the picture there? He wants to make you like His Son. Are you kidding me? That's kind of the question I have in my mind when I read this. Are you really kidding me? God, who sees this sinful person, says, be faithful to me, seek me, pursue holiness, and I'm going to make you like my son. He wants you and I to be complete, equipped for every good work, that we might glorify him. Scripture equips us to be faithful and to serve him. This is good news. And it even says that it's training in righteousness. Right? It gives me the picture of, of working out. Going to the gym and lifting weights. It's not easy. doesn't feel good. But what's it doing? It's breaking down your muscle fibers. And when they repair themselves, they grow back stronger. Doesn't God's word do the same thing for us? Doesn't it reveal sin? 
It doesn't feel good. So when you encounter God's word, it doesn't feel good. Don't deny it. Don't change it. Don't try to miss or, or don't try to reinterpret it, but instead receive it as God teaching you about himself and life and godliness. So as he pokes at sin and reveals sin to you, let it break you down that he might build you back up in the image of his son. And so we see Paul's encouraging Timothy, be faithful to God. Be faithful to God by obeying the scriptures and know that his word will equip you to be faithful. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for today. We thank you that that you have given us your word. You haven't left us alone in life. You've given it to us that we might know you, that we might seek you. And we trust that you will, through your Holy Spirit, empower us today to receive your word. I thank you for it. Would you help us to be faithful children who are expecting persecution when we live for you, that we would not deny you, but that we'd be willing to stand for you, that we'd be willing to to go through suffering for you. And that even during those times that we would see there's really no greater time perhaps in our lives that we are becoming more like Christ as we are persecuted. So would you help us to cling to you? Would you help us to obey you? And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen.